You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. I suppose we all view the build-up to Christmas in different ways. I remember when I was a bit younger, uh, I mean, I was married at that particular time, but I used to try and push Christmas back as far as possible to as near the 25th of December as I could. And I used to encourage my wife, who was the expert at putting up the Christmas tree and always wanted it done when I was out of the house uh, so that I wouldn't interfere in her way of doing it. She would have put the Christmas tree up about the 20th of December. And then when the children came along, it was a bit earlier. And then when the grandchildren came along, it was a bit earlier still. And this particular year, she put it up, it was either the last day of November or the day before. And when I arrived home, I said to her, have you completely lost your marbles putting uh, the Christmas tree up at this time of the year? To which she said, well, you know, Sandra is coming. Now, Sandra is our sister from England, and she's into this sort of thing, so it had to be done, it had to be ready for her when she arrived. So we've had it up for now uh, the good bit of, well, not quite a month yet, but uh, anyway. Uh, And then she'll not take it down to the new year again, which irritates me somewhat, but however, uh, that's that's another matter. But however, um, we all look at Christmas in different ways. And I suppose Christmas is also a time when the church can reach out in different ways to people who may not necessarily be involved in church life all that much, but they come to a carol service or they maybe go to a nativity play in school. And, well, we need to use all these opportunities to be able to present the gospel as best we can. And for a few moments this morning, I want us to look together at the reading that we read from John chapter 1. But I want to look at it in the context of of three different headings with regard to the coming of Jesus. I want us to look, first of all, at the prophecy of his coming. Then I want to look at the purpose of his coming. And thirdly, I want us to look at the promise to the believer. Where do we find out our information, as we were saying to the children earlier, with regard to the birth of Jesus Christ? Well, of course, the answer to that is very clear. It is in the Bible. The Bible is 66 books, but yet... Each of these books dovetail together so that the Bible basically speaks as one. It teaches truths that are beyond our understanding if we didn't have it. The Bible down through the centuries has withstood attacks, but yet its prophecies have all become true. Jesus Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and God's glory its end. And in the Old Testament, we have uh, prophecies about the coming and the life of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament tells us that in respect of his birth, that few of the nation into which he was born would really would recognize him. And in John 1, we read that, in John's Gospel 1, we read that he came unto his own and his own received him not. They didn't really know who he was. He would be known as the carpenter of Nazareth. His family itself misunderstood who he was. Jesus had quite a number of brothers and sisters. And it wasn't until actually after the resurrection that some of his brothers and sisters actually came to the point where they realized who he really was. 
I suppose to put it in a, in a simple way, that they didn't become Christians, if you want to put it that way, until after his resurrection. They just didn't know, and they couldn't understand this strange individual who was brought up among them. Isaiah tells us that when he was born and throughout his life, he would have no physical attraction surrounding him. He was described as a root out of dry ground. He was seen as an unpromising individual. Yet Isaiah described him as the one who would become as the sin bearer and as the suffering servant. And of course, there are two places in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9 that I have always found very fascinating. And that was that Isaiah said and hundreds of years before he was born that he would make his grave with the wicked. And who was Jesus Christ died with? And that was what that phraseology meant. He died with the wicked. He died between two criminals. And with the rich in his death. He was buried in the grave of Joseph of Arimathea, one of the richest men in the community at that particular time. And yet Jesus had done hardly anything but the clothes that he wore. But who really was he? When I was young, I used to go to carol services as I did throughout my life. But I remember on occasions going to carol services that were sort of advertised as nine lessons and carols. And, and the, the nine lessons sort of started in the, in the Old Testament prophesying that Jesus was coming. And then you had the, about, uh, the part about Mary being told by the angel that she was going to uh, have a son and then you had the shepherds, you had the wise men, you had Herod. You had all the things that make up the ingredients of the story. And all these different readings pointed to, to these different aspects of the birth of Jesus Christ. And then at the end, we came to John chapter 1 and the first few verses. And I could never really understand. It, it wasn't really part of the story in the same way because it seemed to change gear a bit in what it was saying. It started by, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I could never really understand that. Until I realized that it said that the Word became flesh. And therefore, who was the Word? The Word was Jesus. So you could read it, in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And he was in the beginning. And then how that the Word became flesh. Jesus actually was born as the scriptures tell us, in Bethlehem of Judea. And when Jesus ministered on earth, do you remember what he said? He said, I am the Father, are one. But what did it really mean that the Word became flesh, that Jesus became flesh? There's a story told about, and I'm sure all of you at some stage in your lives have been to a nativity play in a school. And in this particular school, there was a nativity play. It was held in the assembly hall. The stage was at the front and all the grannies and grandas and mums and dads and friends uh, attended and they flocked in and they squeezed into the, into the assembly hall. And the, the nativity play started and there was uh, a wee boy and a wee girl, they were dressed up and they, they came in and they represented Mary and Joseph. Then at the next stage there was, these guys walked in and they were dressed in their dressing gowns and they were the shepherds. And, and then there was a number of girls and they, they eventually appeared and they were dressed in, in sort of uh, white, uh, meshy curtain material and they represented the angels. And then after that, there was three boys walked in and each of them was carrying a, a little gift, one representing gold and frankincense and myrrh. And the wee boy with the gold went up and he presented the, 
the gift at the, at the manger. He said his words, and then after that, the, the wee boy, the second wee boy went up, and he presented uh, the frankincense gift, uh, and he said his words. And the third wee boy, as he looked down, and as he saw the great multitude of people who were at the particular service, uh, uh, car, uh, the nativity, he, he caught the eye of his mum and dad, and he became a bit stage-struck. And he went over and he set down his gift, and the teacher was lurking behind a curtain, and she whispered over fairly loudly to him, Say your words. And the wee boy had completely forgotten what he was to say. And then she said, Say something. And the wee boy looked into the cradle and he says, Ach, doesn't he just look like his dad? <laughs> and you know, that wee boy was saying something far more profound than he realized or anybody else possibly realized. Because what does the Bible say? The Bible says that Jesus was the image of his father. Jesus reflected what his father looked like. And Jesus came into the world in order that you and I would understand what God was like. I and the father are one. He who has seen me, said Jesus, has seen the Father. And this was all prophesied, that he was coming to be the saviour of the world. What was the purpose of his coming? Well, we read that he came to shine light in darkness. He came in order that we might understand things that otherwise we would not have understood and that we have written in the Scriptures. Verse 9 tells us, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And though the world was made by him, the world did not recognize him. Jesus came in order to leave teaching to follow, that people would follow. He came to be an example to us as well. He came to communicate to us his Father's purpose. And of course, that purpose was to save us from our sins. He was born to die. And let's go back to the early chapters in Genesis where what happened, God finished his work of creation. He made the world in which you and I live and everything at every stage was totally and completely and utterly perfect. At each stage of creation, remember, in the evening and morning, and everything was good, it was said and the evening and morning of the first day, the second day, and all through these different stages of creation and different things that were happening, everything was pronounced to be very good and also was the creation of our first parents. Perfect couple living in a perfect world in a perfect relationship with the one who made them. And then, of course, the crash came. Sin entered the world. Our first parents disobeyed God. And the purpose of Jesus Christ's coming was to reverse the catastrophe that occurred at Eden. That Jesus Christ came as the second Adam. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam was to succeed. He was as we read in John 1 and 9, the true light 
that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made by him, the world did not recognize him. He came unto his own, and his own didn't believe him or receive him. Yet to all who did, he gave the right to become the children of God. We need to ask ourselves the question this morning. Are we a child of God? And the church needs to robustly promote the Christian message and the real significance of it that enables men and women and young people to become children of God. And how do we become a child of God? We become a child of God when we recognize what actually happened. And what did happen? Well, again, the story is told of a wee African boy who, when it was coming up to Christmas, he presented his teacher with a present. It was a, te- it was a present of a shell that he had got at the beach. But how did you get to the beach? The teacher asked, to which the wee boy replied, I walked. But it's a long way to the beach, the teacher explained. Oh, yes, it is. And the wee boy then said, but the journey was part of the gift. And the journey of Jesus Christ from heaven to earth was part of God's gift to you. And also the journey of Jesus Christ through this life till the age of 33, until he went to the cross, was also part of the gift. For God so loved the world that he gave, that whosoever believeth should not perish, but have everlasting life. The question is very simple. The question is, do you believe, and have you responded? And do you think more about the Christmas story than just, if you want to call it, the, the notes that you would have about a Christmas story. You know, it's about Jesus coming, and there was the stable, and there was the wise men, and there was the shepherds, and there was the angels, all that sort of thing. That is the ingredients of the story. But what was behind the story? What is the real purpose of the Christmas story? It's in order for you and I to understand that God became man, that he came into the world, that he died on the cross, that you and I might receive eternal life. That the journey that we're experiencing at the present time through this life, whether it be long or whether it be short, one day will come to its conclusion. And when that conclusion comes... And we're no longer, as it were, in the body, as we would say, that we're absent from the body. Will we be present with the Lord? And that is surely the most important thing that we can promote and preach and discuss and talk about at Christmas. That Jesus coming into the world and him dying on the cross was in order that we might be saved from our sin and in order that one day we might go to heaven. 
And so often is it true to say that within church life we can get all tied up with all sorts of wee things, with the paraphernalia of this, that, and the other, with the minutiae of detail. I, I like a Christmas tree, I don't like a Christmas tree. That decoration was, stu- was straight, and that decoration wasn't straight, or the heating wasn't as good as the church. I couldn't hear as well as I should have heard. And there's all sorts of wee things that sometimes we say when we have come and we're involved in the church. But at the end of the day, the most important thing that we can be considering and thinking about in the life and work of the church is, am I hearing the gospel and have I responded to it? Am I a member of God's family? Am I sure of heaven at the end of life? And that was the purpose of his coming, to give you and me eternal life. And thirdly, what was the promise to the believer? that when we respond, as we've already said, we become a child of God. And when Jesus was returning to heaven, remember, he gave his disciples the Great Commission. And how did it finish? And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. What benefit is it for us to know that Jesus Christ is with us at all times when we respond to the gospel? Well, in one of the older catechisms, the answer to that question is this, that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and in all things which befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful Father that nothing is able to separate us from his love, since all of us as his creatures are in his hand. Once we become a child of God, really in life, We're not told, as we've said before, we're not told that all in the garden will be rosy. But what we are told is that in the midst, at times of suffering, God never leaves us. Suffering sometimes are sent to try us. They can be at times sent in order to to challenge us in our lifestyles. They can be sent sometimes to build our characters. They can be sent that we might get to know God better or that they may produce fruit in our lives and prepare us for spiritual usefulness. The prophecy was coming. Jesus Christ was born in compliance with God's will, outlined and articulated by the prophets. The purpose was to save his people from their sins. And he left the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. So whatever you're facing in life, whether it be a real challenge or a lesser challenge, or worry about this, that, or the other, remember that he never leaves us. He's with us at all times, and he wants to encourage us and help us, even in the midst of the most difficult times in life that we go through. Let's focus on why he came this Christmas, and let's focus on the fact that he was born to die that we might experience eternal life. Let us pray.